You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Hockey, yeah. yeah. My favorite. It's Judd's Hockey Show. All right, here we go. Welcome into a special edition, a post-game wild edition of Judd's Hockey Show. Declan Goff right there. Zolgad with you as well. A one-timer. So we'll keep this short. We'll keep this sweet, but have to react to what, what we just saw in game one of the qualifying round. Wild and Canucks in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, the Wild comes out and wins three rip. Declan, plenty to get to. But here's the – okay, this is going to sound very simple and very cliched, but it has not always been true in my estimation of of Wild teams. Flat out, just at its simplest form, tonight's game, 3 nothing. Wild beat the Canucks. The Wild had a, not only a better game plan, they wanted this game more. Like they were, they were the team that ordinarily draw that used to drive them crazy, right? right. It's like they've got all this talent. Why aren't they doing more? Um, and they would run into teams where you said that team is going to take away the real estate on the ice from them. They're going to frustrate them. Um, I I saw just as a starting point to our conversation here on Judd's Hockey Show, I saw a team tonight in the wild that flat out had more interest in coming away with a victory than their than the team that they were playing in the Vancouver Canucks. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, that's a really good point, Judd. I think it, it's kind of funky how a lot of the times the Wildest don't play well historically in game ones either. And from outside of the opening shift, from the first from when they dropped the puck right in the first period, Vancouver was on them in that first shift. And you went, uh oh, you know this this could get it off to disaster really quick. And then Felino drops the gloves. That motivates the guys a little bit. And then yep. all of a sudden, Fiala gets the big goal, and Minnesota's then in control. But it, it is a good point of guys like Roussel and guys who have top-end talent, too, on Vancouver would usually frustrate Minnesota. I didn't get that vibe when I watched them throughout this game tonight. Yeah, in, in fact, when Roussel, who is a, by the way, pain in the ass, when he was with Dallas and they played the Wild in the playoffs a few years back, you'll recall that he got under the wild player skin constantly. Like they were agitated. They were bugged. It worked. I mean, and he is a, he is not a fun player to, uh, to watch. I guess if he's on your team, you might feel a bit different about him. But when he played for Dallas in that series, you just felt like the wild was at every turn looking at him and saying, Oh my God, not again tonight. You just sort of, he tried the same stuff. I mean, his act doesn't change. He, he is not a, a guy who's going to, freshen up how he plays the game but the wild was not bothered the wild was uh non-pulse but by him they just didn't care uh elias Pedersen too the wild did a fantastic job almost non-existent at times yeah. like you don't hear his name much and this guy is a top end talent this guy is is a guy who if the canucks are going to win three games to take this uh series he's going to have to be key and I felt like the Wild did a great job. And again, I feel like with guys like that as well, Dex, but on Pedersen, so I feel like he's the type of guy where if you 
take away his ice early and you frustrate him, I'm not saying that he's going to disappear for the entire series because he's not going to. But tonight, you know what? I heard his name. I can probably count on one hand. And, and again, it's a great starting point if you're the wild to actually have to have to have your starting point for this series not be some you know high flying impressive win. It's a win in which you frustrated the opposing team and you worked hard and the Wild spent this entire game. I felt like and and the game did not always go their way. To your point, start of the game, Canucks came out flying. Second period, what there, there was a chunk of early in the uh, second period where the Canucks were definitely in control, uh, but you never felt like the Wild didn't work, right? Like you never felt like, oh, man, you know, they're letting down. I never had that so familiar feeling of watching this team saying, "Here's where, here come the Canucks because the Wild let down. You didn't see that. No, not, not at all. And and Pedersen and, and the whole top line was shut down the whole game. And we knew that Joel Erickson Eck and Miko Koivu were probably going to match up with them a lot over the course of the game. And you saw them be deployed around them a lot. And I thought Koivu's line with Donato and Hartman was probably, Judd, the most consistent line Minnesota had here tonight. And and I think none of the lines played poorly tonight. I think I think right. the lineup and the execution and everything that the team did was very successful for Minnesota. And they got underneath the skin of Vancouver. We knew going in that Vancouver had the top-end talent advantage. Obviously, their top six is as good as any. Uh, but would they have the depth? And would those also those young kids in that top six, like the Pedersons, the best of the world, would they be able to live up to the postseason stage? And I do think there is something to say that the Wild have a pretty veteran core. Um, even if you would like to have a couple of those top six guys in the Wild's top six, you saw that the veteran leadership would come through, that the playoff experience the Wild have would, would absolutely come through for Minnesota, and they shut them down. That's, that's a hard team to keep quiet, and Pedersen and Besser and Horvath and all those guys – and they were non-existent through the course of the game tonight. Exactly right. So the Wild tonight, 204 on the power play, Declan. Um, impressive there. But to me, special teams-wise, the most impressive thing is this fact. The Wild did not give, and the Canucks did not get, a power play. And keep in mind, the Canucks' power play during the course of the season was fourth in the league, okay? Oh, yeah, really good. They did not get a power play in this game until 441 was left in the game, and they got it, and they did nothing. But officially, 0 for 1 on the power play. And and the majority of these games that I've seen so far, the officials are chopping at the bit or champing. It's spelled champing. But they are, they are eager about that word. They are eager to call infractions. They want power plays. I think the league wants goals, which, you know, I'm not surprised by. But if you think about that, if you basically go and and you are probably the more defensive team and playing hard and you go almost the entire hockey game and don't give them a power play and finally give them one, that what do we always talk about? Playoff hockey. We talk about, I think, two things there, right? Special teams and goaltending. And we'll, we'll talk about Staylock in a second here. But the special teams, you didn't even give the Canucks a chance. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. And that goes to your players and coaching, I think. Yeah, I was surprised at the amount of whistles that were called over the course of the game. And good on the Wilds power play to come back and, and have a pretty successful showing after a pretty dreadful showing against the in the exhibition game against Colorado. Um, but I was curious about that. And even 
even towards the end there, uh, when Hartman got called for clearly holding the stick of, of Ferdinand. I mean, it was it was very clear Hartman was close holding the stick. But then for Ferland to come back and and jab and spear him, he's he probably speared him on the bench, which was incredibly stupid. I would be shocked if there's not a fine and a suspension. I would be pretty shocked. Well, I agree, and and the spear is BS. It's yes. cheap. But explain this. What's Hartman doing? And then explain yeah. one, which, which was probably which, which was probably dumber than what Hartman did. What is Greenway doing slashing the guy from the bench? Dude, you're on the bench. Don't do that stuff. Not in the playoffs. Like, be smart. That entire sequence was weird, uncalled for. Uh, but Greenway, just stay away. I, I mean, I get it. You, you're mad. That was weird, though. Um, goaltending. Let's talk about that. Because you told me, you told me on a one-timer that we did last Wednesday following the Avs Wild, um, excuse me, exhibition game. You told me that you were getting the feeling, and you were not the only one, that there was a good chance that Dubnik was going to start. And I said, well, first of all, I want Capo, but he ain't starting. I get that. And if he's not going to start, Stalock should start. Alex Stalock tonight, Declan, um, I would say made four or five really, really good saves. And again, for a, for a guy who, you know, up until basically the course of the season that we are now completing, which is weird to say, but going back to March, um, who had not been a top goaltender until then, that was a really, really solid game. And I, and he, he deserves all the praise he's going to get. Alex Stalock played a hell of a game tonight in game one. To help the Wild take the uh, one one nil lead on the Canucks in the series. Yeah, it seemed like uh, it, right where the right where the Wild paused. We wanted to know if Alex Daylock could still be the same goalie, if Kevin Fiala could still be you know your quote unquote game breaker that he was over the last eight weeks of the season. And, and you could answer both those questions. Yes, they still are. Uh, Daylock, who looked shaky in the exhibition game, and I just, I just thought Everson, someone who I think just is going to go with the flow and play with a hot hand and do something like that. So that's why I originally thought that I could see him going with Devin Dubnik. And I, and I, I, yeah, I wasn't alone in that thinking. It would have taken probably Stalock looking also poorly in practice, which we don't see. So there was definitely, it wasn't just more of an exhibition game. I, I just had the growing feeling. I saw him in, in parts of both of those scrimmages that they played and he looked good. Yeah. He was dynamite. He's, and, he's playing with confidence. And he's he was someone who was making some very athletic saves. He's a smaller goaltender. He has to get in front of that paint more than you, a, a typical Tendy would. And he was dynamite. And he was also able to come out and play the puck. Uh, Markstrom was trying to one-up him playing the puck out uh, on, on numerous occasions, it seemed tonight. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I actually thought that Stalock didn't play the puck as much as I thought. I thought that he would play the puck a lot to try and uh, speed up the transition game. Because it's clear that some teams, especially from the break, the transition games aren't really, really sharp yet. So I, I thought there was a chance that we would see Stalock tonight trying to expedite the Wilds' transition game. He really didn't. And, and there were a couple times where he actually covered pucks, and I about dropped my computer. I'm like, is that Stalock? But he played a great game. That was definitely the right call. He'll clearly now come back on Tuesday in game two and play two decks. Uh, but how, how about this stat that I heard towards the end of the FSN uh, telecast? The Wild had won two of 13 game ones in franchise history. Yeah. One had won two of 13 game ones. And think about the times, again, that we saw this team in, 
game ones. And sometimes, guess what? They ran into those, you know, really good Blackhawks teams. But there were game ones where we thought, that's it, really? And tonight, again, what they did, in my opinion, is it's not that they played a sexy game. It's not that they played this great high-flying game. What they did tonight was they flipped the script and they played an aggressive game. They played a, a hard game. And I really, I you know, from the starting point of this show, I really believe that the Wild just simply flat out had more interest in winning the game tonight than the Canucks did. Now, now the Canucks, I think, on Tuesday are going to come back and be desperate. Oh, yeah. Uh, but this this was an impressive starting point from a coaching perspective and from a team perspective where there wasn't a lot of ice to be had, and the Wild was pretty damn sure that when there was going to be battles for that ice, they were going to win them. Yeah, I was pretty impressed that Dean Epson essentially just plugged and played the same game plan. I'm not surprised that he did that. I'm surprised at the, how great the execution was after you know a, a five-month layoff. And, and everyone wanted to know, can this team still play with that up-tempo pace? We had Greg Wyshynski on a couple weeks back, and that was the curious thing in this series. Can they match Vancouver's fast pace with their fast pace that everyone was sleeping on? Because after the change from Boudreaux to Evison, you saw the Wild play more of an offensive-tempoed game. You saw players even complimenting it and saying, you know what? Like, yes, we know we're a defensive first team. Our, our, our heart and soul starts in the blue line. But we can also get in, we can be a team that plays well offensively, and we won't have to worry about making offensive mistakes and always trying to start things in transition. We're okay with going in the offensive zone, and if we turn a puck over, you turn a puck over. That shouldn't kill the entire mantra of what you're trying to do. And we, that's what we saw. There was moments in the offensive zone today that there were some frustrating offensive turnovers, and the Wild still didn't get down on themselves, didn't put themselves in a bad spot in transition right. on the defense. That's huge. That's, if, if, I don't know, Judd, if you can the, – the big question is, is can you continue to play at this pace? And tonight we said yes. That's still the answer is yes. But can you, can, can you do it for, you know, 20 more games to win a Stanley Cup? I've got my doubts about that. I do think that, that you could realistically do it for five games, or I realistically think that you could do it through the qualifying round and the first round. Yeah. Let's talk about Jared Spurgeon, though, Declan. Um, Jared, Jared Spurgeon is an incredible story. I mean, this is a little man. We, we have both um, stood beside him when talking to him in the room, as they call it in hockey. And, I mean, Jared Spurgeon is a – Jared Spurgeon's probably smaller in person than he seems on TV, and that's saying something. Um, but, you know, two goals again tonight – Jared Spurgeon is is such a steadying influence consistently. I, I mean, this is really one of the more, I think, remarkable stories in the league from the perspective of if you looked at this guy, you would say, okay, what? He plays yeah. defense. He doesn't play, he doesn't play like wing or center. And what? He plays a lot, and he's really good. But Jared Spurgeon, I mean, Jared Spurgeon, Dex, has been off for four months. They all have, all right? They've all been off for four months. Mm-hmm. And I would say to you that in watching him tonight, just if I showed you tonight's game in three years and you had forgotten about this whole pandemic and the whole I love to, yeah. layoff, exactly. There is no way that you would watch Jared Spurgeon's game tonight and say he was off for a long time. I mean, this is a I, I just I can't articulate and stress enough what a remarkable story this guy is and the fact that at almost every turn, if there is success here, Jared Spurgeon is in some way, shape, or form involved in that success for the Wild. 
Yeah, he, he is really one of the most underappreciated players in the NHL, and I think hopefully on this national stage and with even more eyes, not just hockey eyes, but, but the world watching sports right now, that you're going to see how special a player he truly is. And, and yeah, he scores that big power play goal. Uh, I know he had an assist also tonight, too. You know, I, I think a lot of people probably yeah, assume, too. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably assume he's the next captain of this team. He's definitely probably the leading candidacy to do so. Um, and, and he deserves it, man. I mean, the, the, they locked him up to a very nice contract uh, after, uh, you know, recently too. He is so, so good um, at what he does. And yes, it's deceiving. If, if I'm sure there's no, numerous sports fans who have never heard, or I shouldn't say never heard, but I've never watched Minnesota Wild Hockey tonight where a Joe Schmo drinking a Budweiser in their recliner watching this game. And they said, this guy, this five foot nine, buck 180 pound guy is one of the best players in the NHL at what he does playing defense. What? There's no way in hell. And he truly is. He can do so many good things on the ice, Judd. And no matter who he's paired with, too, I think that goes to show he can do it. He can really do it all. And the Wild are blessed to have him. Fiala, too. Incredible. In, just incredible. Yeah. Now, here's the one thing. So, so I think the tone of this team now is is they've got some talent. But for the most part, I think when they're going their best decks, they just work really hard, right? Like tonight, they worked hard. Like yeah. they're you know, crazy. Um, that style of play, uh, excuse me, probably epitomizes where this team is at. Except for there, there, are, there are X factors that come in. Spurgeon certainly is one. But I want to discuss Fiala. Because from the day that this team got back, and I was at the scrimmage that they did at Trio about three weeks ago now. Kevin Fiala, I think, is consistently, not sort of, but he is consistently the most dynamic player on this team all the time. And, you know, that goal tonight, and Markstrom probably should stop that one. Okay? Yep, he believes it. Yep. The, point. the point is, Kevin Fiala, I want to say... Since he's been going well, which goes back to what now? Bruce was, was still here. New Year's. I think the New Year is when he really right. turned it on. Okay. When Kevin Fiala is going well, he does four to five things per game where where you say to yourself, there are X amount of guys who play in this league who can do that consistently. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like, if you think about the chances, he creates chances for himself and teammates that, that going back probably – to Gabrick, since him. Yeah. You just don't have a guy like that and, and a dynamic forward like that. And the amount of opportunities that he can create for teammates and himself consistently. And look, in, in the playoffs, you're going to win lots of games, if, if you do, um, by one goal, Declan, or two goals. And Kevin Fiala is the guy that puts you in that place. Be, you know why? Because Parisi and Stahl, and we can go down the whole crew, of guys are going to work their butts off and they're going to try hard and they are, they do not have the inherent talent to create what 22 can. And when you watch Fiala on a consistent basis, again, you'll see, I think four to five times per game where he does things where you say to yourself that can win games. And the rest of the time, if you just go lunch pail and work your ass off, congratulations, that's good. That's the smart thing. Right. It gives you the chance to win that game by a goal or two is the things that a guy like Fiala does. And the issue is those guys are hard to find. And, you know, going into the series, I told you, Judd, like I, I have tempered expectations just because of the layoff 
no, you know, it's tempered expectations for a lot of players in a lot of situations. But I said, well, hold on here. You know, he was really good, but it's only it could possibly only be three games. How much are we going to judge what he can, what he can or can't do? What was he able to resume? And the guy is still so damn good. Uh, the the play that probably really impressed me, obviously outside of the the great shot he had in the power play goal, was I believe when he fed Stall for that breakaway. And, and yeah, exactly. That those kind of plays. It's not even just like, oh, it's Kevin Fiala. He has the puck in his hand. He's in the slot. He's going to rifle it through, or he's going to dangle around and do something sexy. No, no, no. He he creates that play because of how dynamic he is. And then again, it sets everything up for the players around him. So then Eric Stahl gets a breakaway. It's a rolling puck. I think if he get if if Stahl gets all of that puck job, he probably hits it. He probably finds the back of the net. Um, but I I thought I really thought he was just as good as he was at the pause. And it's it's but think about that. It's it's equally as frustrating that we can't see Capers off because that's how now all of a sudden crazy things have been with the Wild that now you have the Wild will have two dynamic players that that are worth the price of admission to a common sports fan. Exactly right, and and two players who they have not had a version of in how long? Gabrick. twelve, uh, yeah. a long time. How important? How important and th- this is a small a small thing in the big picture of this game, uh, Dax. How important do we think a minute nineteen into this into the game, the Felino Michael Furlan fight was? And you know what? Bring this up to Phil on the show tomorrow because he'll go crazy. Right he hates, absolutely hates this stuff. But what do you think? Because I will say this: I saw that fight and I thought that almost looked staged. Like it wasn't a great Donnie Brook. It wasn't. They weren't really mad. They both sort of knew their roles. But that being said. We both think that uh, Felino is a guy who could definitely set tones, and he definitely is. He's not a captain, but I mean, he definitely is a, a guy who I think this team looks to consistently um, when things are going wrong or possibly right. Uh, but how important do you think that fight was? Because at first I was like, I don't know about this, and then w- when I saw the juxtaposition of how that game started, which was the Vancouver Canucks uh, came out flying, that fight takes place. And it almost seemed then after that, like the mission by Felino was accomplished because the game did seem to slow down for the Canucks at that point. And I thought to myself, I wonder if that fight was more important than I initially expected it to be. I think it changed the entire course of the game, man. I mean, the, the Canucks came out flying. Yeah. They came out flying that first minute, and I thought, oh, boy, here we go. Puck, pack a lunch, buckle up, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bumpy here. And for them to just come right back out and get that fight from Foligno, and you saw the guys on the bench, they were rejuvenized by that. There was definitely something there, Judd. And, look, we saw that, what, in the Carolina-New York game on Saturday, a similar situation where they dropped the gloves very early, and, and it and it just got the, got the guys going a little bit. And, with also, and uh, I know we could probably talk about this too, with the two teams being the last teams to play over the last 48 hours on that ice, that ice does not look great. You were right. I'll give you credit on that. That ice did not look good. I'm curious to hear what the players actually say about it because I'm a little more tepid about it with both players, with both teams having to be. No excuses. Uh, you will get, Declan, you will get the word. No excuses. Yes, that's right. Uh, but I thought I thought it completely changed the, the shift of the game. And Felino's that exact kind of guy. And, and I know it would have been great to have the crowd there because Felino thrives in that kind of situation with the crowd and getting them all pumped up. They even showed that right after the fight, what he does with when he, when he can get the crowd into it. But, yeah, that, that fight literally tilted the things in the Wild's direction. And, and the Wild were rewarded with a power play goal right afterwards, right off the dot. Thank you, Marcus Felino, man. 
Um, yeah. Fourth line, the Koivu line. Let's talk about that. Koivu, Donato, Hartman. All right. I'm going. I'm going to tell you what, what we talked about. I believe it was on uh, Judd's hockey show the one time that we did on Wednesday. I'm going to say it again. Koivu has become a role player. Okay, he is a definite role player. Um, he has done a nice job there, but that fourth line played really well. And Donato at times, and I know he can drive us crazy, and, and I, I think he drives the coaching staff nuts two attempts. But, you know, Koivu and that whole fourth line really slots in nicely. And this is not saying that Koivu should definitely come back uh, for the 2021 season. But I am impressed that a guy who I thought had to be, like, two years ago, Declan, I thought he's got to be top six. He won't accept not being top six. And he has to be a, a really important person um, both on and off the ice. Well, he might still be important off the ice, but he is slotted into a definite role now. And the one thing is, when the Wild can roll four lines like they did tonight, and, and they differ on how effective they can be, but when they can roll those four lines, the Canucks roll ideally in their world what or Realistically, they roll two and their third and fourth line, their bottom six are not great. No. So, so to me, the Koivu line playing well is absolutely huge because I don't know that the Canucks fourth line can match that. And the Wilds depth here, which of course in any playoff scenario is very important, the Wilds depth here becomes really, really nice. Um, and congratulations though to Koivu because I really did not think that he could ever settle into the role that he has. And it's become quite clear that he is willing to play this role, that he is does not have to be a key player here, but that doesn't make him an unimportant player. Yes, he's going to have, he has, him and Eck are tasked with shutting down top lines. And if we're even looking at how the lines shifted out tonight from our friends at Natural Stat Check, n- no forward tonight. I like when you do this. Yeah, no forward uh, actually played more than 14 minutes tonight. And the and the forward that played the least was Felino at 924. So, I mean, the, the gaps between the times of the forward shifts, I mean, everyone was basically playing an equal amount. The only guys that really logged a lot of minutes were the regular suspects, Brodeen, Suter, and, and, and Dumba. Um, so, the, so the lines were able to be rolled pretty evenly. And if you have two guys, essentially like Koibu and Ek, to shut down the top lines, well, now, now it's a matchup game, and now it's basically the Wilds' depth. The, those first two lines look a lot better because of what the defensive prowess can do with guys like Ek and Koivu shutting big-time players down. So then Eric Stahl is able to, to play a lot better. Alex Galchenyuk and Marcus Foli- and, uh, excuse me, Matt Zuccarello, um, who we could wrap with here too, have opportunities and can get chances. Where the hell – explain this one. I, I tweeted this too. Where the hell did that Galchenyuk move in the third come from? <laughs> That looks like Dennis Savard in his prime, dude. I, I know we. Uh, I, I told you just where, where, yesterday huh? that that thirty goal score in Montreal four years ago as like a twenty three year old is probably gone. But the guy, the kid, has immense offensive talent. I think he's a little bit aloof defensively, and, and the game caught up to him, and that's why he might not be the dynamic player he was that one year in Montreal where he scored thirty goals. But there is definitely something to his game, and I, I know you and I both pegged him and Zuccarello as two guys who I think can bounce back in these postseason, and, and if the Wild were to advance, they're probably going to play an integral part. Zuccarello today, I, I think, was, was, a little, was a little frustrating just because uh, there was times where he made some really slick passes that I think, A, 
the player wasn't ready for, or B, it just didn't materialize, but he's setting players up. He's definitely doing what Matt Zuccarello should be doing, but it, it's a bit, it's been it's still a little bit frustrating watching him at times. He still needs to shoot, though, right? He has to shoot I, I guess, but... Uh, but I mean, just Matt, Matt, come on. You, there's no one just can't shoot. He's a, he's a guy who has scored more goals this year, but he, he's still not taking a ton of shots, so his shooting percentage was really high. He, he's going he's gonna to make his checks and make his mark by setting players up. And yes, okay. I, I get it. When you have the look, take it. Pass, shoot, score. I understand, but Thank you. he he has he's going to set people up to be successful. He's not going to take the not gonna, he's not going to be the one rifling up the shots that change the game. He's going to be setting up the players that change the game. Okay, but they signed him to, to that fairly substantial contract. Yeah. I got to shoot some more. He's got to shoot some more. I mean, I, I I get it. I get it. He likes to pass. He's good at passing at times. Um, let's play a, a game. You got stats called up there. Go through good and bad Corsi tonight. Who, if you've got that, yeah. who had good Corsi, who had the bad Corsi, and for people who are watching this who have no idea what I'm talking about, please quickly explain Corsi. Well, Cor- Corsi is just basically a plus minus for shots that you are on the ice for and allow. So, so if if you are five guys and you're on the ice and you put a shot, any shot, by the way. So that's that's shots attempted. So that's shots blocked. That's shots on goal. It's all shots. So you get a plus one when your teammates do that for you. You get a minus one when you allow it from the opposition, right? Um, as a team tonight, the Minnesota Wild did have the Corsi advantage at 52% to Vancouver's 47%. So what that basically meant was when the Wild were on the ice, they were putting more shots and allowing less shots than Vancouver was. And, yeah, no one really played poorly uh, from, from a Corsi standpoint. The players that played the best on the Corsi, Judd, were, guess what, Donato and Koivu. Uh, they had the two as high as Corsi's at, in terms of the forwards, and so, so did uh, Kevin Fiala at 17 and 13. So they're, they're definitely changing it. And I th- and look, Corsi is not a end-all, be-all stat. It's definitely being used more, and it's definitely something that you can mention. But the pro- the I think the misconception with it is like, oh, well, so you were always out shooting, so naturally that team was ahead, and naturally that team looked better. Well, not necessarily. You have to match the eye test with what's going on, too. So fourth-line grinders um, are going to do a good job at suppressing those shots and, and not not giving up a lot of chances. But also the Wild don't really have a, a grinding fourth line like that. They just have four really deep lines. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's not a coincidence either that Donato and Koibu had two strong games in terms of Corsi, and you also saw it with your own two eyes. And that's the hard part is blending that analytics with an eye test so people can kind of see what all that means. Koivu grinds now, right? Yeah, I mean he does. He does. He grinds. Hartman, I think, grinds. He's a grinder. Donato, here here's the the good thing about him being on that line right now is I think it forces him to grind because he would prefer not to grind, but he has to. Like you can't play with those two and be like, it just set me up and I'm gonna shoot. I mean, he would love to shoot constantly, which I hey. you know, don't mind. Yeah. And and within the next two years, if he stays here. He needs to go up to, let's say, the third or second line and shoot more. Um, but, yeah, that that was an impressive performance. It puts the Wild in a great place now because, again, keep in mind, the qualifying round is a best three of five. In fact, it's the first time that a playoff format has been used best three of five in the league since the, I believe, 86 season. And um, I saw the percentages a couple of days ago. The statistics and percentages are ridiculous if you win game one. I mean, if yeah. you win one it is a ridiculous and so i'm sure the connects are going to come back on tuesday and um uh and have a fire lit 
under them. The inter- Okay, the, the last thing here. Yeah. The interesting thing about Tuesday now is this, though. As much as if I were these two teams, I would prefer not to play the last game of the day on much-used ice twice. Like, you've got to play that, that game. I get it. But if I if I got the last game tonight, I'd prefer on Tuesday to play, like, the first or second game. But here's the interesting point off of that now with the fact that the Wild won Declan game one. If you're the Wild, do you almost welcome potentially again, or not potentially, almost certainly bad ice on Tuesday night? Because the Canucks need to come out fly. Like the Canucks are going to come, the Canucks are going to come out, and their top six are going to attempt to bounce back and take the game to the Wild and and dominate the puck. Um, which, of course, if the ice is good, there's a potential that you know their chances of doing that would be better. They probably can't do that now. So. If I'm the Wild, I guess I'm not as upset because if the ice is not great and the pace of the play suffers because of that, well, there's no pressure on, on me now. There's a pressure on the Canucks. So just in rethinking that a little bit, I do wonder if the Wild is going to almost be a little uh, be pleased about the fact that the game on Tuesday night could end up being ragged and the puck could be bouncing and the Canucks could again get frustrated and you did pick up on that. I, I think it's because they've got some young, talented players. It seemed to me that, like tonight the Canucks got frustrated fairly quickly. I mean, it, it's game one still, right? Mm-hmm. But it seemed to be a level of frustration. So I wonder if you put all of those factors in, into a hockey stew for game two, yep. if the Wild is actually going to be pleased because the ingredient, the ingredients say the team that plays desperate on Tuesday – Actually, it might work in some ways against them. Yeah, I, I, I think if that's, if a the long, ice, that's if, a long way of saying I wonder if the Wild's not upset about the bad ice for Tuesday. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's be it shouldn't be something that we're crutching at. If the Wild lost, maybe we're looking at it a little bit more. But I think uh, the, the old cliche of both teams have to play on it. it it's not an advantage or disadvantage for one team. And even a quick note too uh, from our friend Michael Russo of the Athletic who. Noted that the Wild only held, or the Wild held Vancouver's top six forwards, Judd, to just five shots tonight. Five shots. If you, they, I mean, they are. If if you if you take the rug underneath them, if you t- if you take out that top six, Vancouver's not good. I think Van- Vancouver reminds me a lot, Judd, of of Winnipeg like five six years ago. Like I think Vancouver is probably going to be a force in the West for seasons to come especially if they're able to fill out the roster a little bit more. They obviously have the top-end talent. They got the goaltender. Now can they get the depth? Clearly, it's what's so funny, Judd, is it is the complete polar opposite of how the Wild are built. Literally, they don't have much top six. Well, at least we didn't think so until Fiala took off. They don't have goaltending. They have the depth. So I, I think Vancouver is going to be a very good team for seasons to come. But if the Wild can steal another one in Game 2, I mean, I don't see the, I don't see the Wild, if they win Game 2, then losing three in a row. Like, oh, no, there's no, no, no way no. it's going to Vancouver's happen. done. Yeah. No, 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 it's no. A, it's a kill shot in game two. But if, if the Canucks continue to show the frustration in game two that they showed in game one, they're probably toast. They're probably not, not mature enough at this point then to win the series. Um, and Markstrom, look, Markstrom made some great saves yeah. tonight. I, I thought yes. he made a handful of really it, spectacular saves. It could have been 4 nothing in the first. But some of those goals were not great. Right. And, and so – so I just I I sensed that there was some old school wild mentality in what the Canucks did. 
I really did. Just some like, like you saw the same type of things. You saw the same type of things and the frustration, and it's like, calm down. It's game one. But guess what? If you're the wild, you don't care. Okay. All right, we're done. Uh, Judd's Hockey Show, a one-timer. Are we going to do this again after Tuesday's game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to be burning the midnight oil. We got people watching uh, for whatever reason. I'm not tired. I, I don't even know there's psychopaths that are up loving hockey. And, hey, we and, appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate all yeah, of you. We appreciate you, people. Yeah, I really do. I got my Powerline t-shirt on from the Goofy movie. Judd's drinking a water. He's in his hook. Are you, in a, are you still in your polo? You're, yeah, let me, let me get this right. It is 12.50 at night, and Judd Zolgat is drinking water and wearing a polo. Who, who are you? Where, where's, where's Judd Zolgat? I, don't, I think you've been kidnapped. Sports are back. So now, oh, now you're a law, you're a biting citizen a, with polos and water? I only became a derelict because there was nothing to watch. Oh, okay. no, now, I'm, now I'm well-dressed, hair is cut, water instead of beer. No, the pandemic, I mean, it's not done, but sports is back, man. I got I to gotta be alert. I got to be chipper. I got to be sharp. I mean, we're going to be doing podcasting with Mackie tomorrow. No, no, oh. no. Zolgat, Zolgat is back because sports is back. And when sports is gone, I don't know what to do. I'm not complete mess. All right. Say your thing and, and we're done. All right. Pass shoot score. He knows he once ate an entire sheet cake. He knows your selfie life isn't your real life. He knows what goes down on the DMs. Shouldn't you know your dog better? Now you can learn his inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlocking over 350 breeds and screening for over 215 genetic health risks. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today.